sort of one of those uh, bittersweet pieces of news hearing about Pastor Len, isn't it? But uh, one thing, I heard the word legacy um, in my ears when uh, that was being shared. And uh, one of the things I wanted to just say was uh, Pastor Len, <clears throat> uh, what was sacred to him was not his own life, but his life found in Christ. And that's where I'm going to start my question this morning. What is sacred to us? What is sacred to you? Ask yourself that question right now. What is sacred to me? What do I hold more dear than anything else in the world? What in life can I not go without? It's a good question, isn't it? What is more sacred to me? Uh, for the benefit of the tape, uh, I've titled this sermon, Putting First Things First. And uh, if you want a little side note, is Jesus really Lord? Is a good, good question for us. What is sacred to me? I can remember when, uh, when I first started to rethink about God. I, I was born again as a young person and, and then uh, went away and I tried to uh, do life my own way. Who's kind of guilty of doing those sorts of things? We, try and we think we've got a better idea of how to do life. We think we can do it better than what God's plan is for us. And uh, one of the things that was sacred to me uh, in those times of my life was my footy, my rugby league. And you've, you've all heard that. It's not nothing new. But I remember coming back to Christ. I remember walking back into the church and, and doing my own thing. And I still remember what was most sacred to me was actually packing my footy bag, making sure I had my shorts and my my socks and my boots because you can't play footy without a good pair of boots and I, I, always, I made a deal with mum that I would wear headgear so I made sure I had my headgear in there and it helped me out a couple of times and uh, I remember that was probably more important for me than getting dressed for church and I was coming to church and I was uh, praising God and, and I was sitting through communion and some weeks I'd take off after communion other weeks I would, I would get most of the word in and I'd take off again I remember doing that because I remember my life was more important to me than God's plan for my life. And you see, I remember that I was still on the throne of my life. I had a commitment to my team who's been there, who's committed to their team. It might be in your workplace, you've got work colleagues and you're committed to them. You're committed to turning up with them and being there on time and you're committed to doing the things that you need to do so that your boss prospers. But what about your own life? Are you committed to doing the things that will actually cause you to prosper? It's an interesting question. It's where I sort of have been thinking about in the preparation for this. What has God got planned for you? Is it more important than what you've got planned for you? What has God not shown you because you haven't first taken that bold step of faith, that initial step to say, God, I'm all in. You see, Peter was all in. Jesus comes walking to them on the water and it's a, it's a calm night and it's a bit misty. You can imagine it in the dim moonlight coming through the mist and, and they, see, they see this shadow, this figure coming to them. And the disciples are looking out and they're going, what is this? Is it a ghost? And they start to freak out. And Jesus, he comes to them and he assures them, it is but I. And Peter goes, Lord, if it is you, call me. Call me to come to you. And Peter straight away steps out. And before he'd even thought about it, he'd made those two or three steps onto the water 
Then the waves came up and the wind. And he heard the sounds of probably the fish up around his ears as he was sinking. But Peter made some steps upon that water. And I wonder, have we made those first steps in our Christian walk? You know, it's all well and good to say, I've made Jesus my saviour. It's all well and good to say, Jesus, thank you that you've forgiven me for my sin. But have you actually come to the other side of that and say, Jesus, you're my Lord? It's a good question. Jesus, are you my Lord? Is he the most sacred thing in our life? What has God got planned for me? Am I willing to take those steps of faith to find out? King David, the psalmist, puts it this way. Psalm 37, 3 to 4 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now we like that as Westerners, don't we? Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. But is that the only reason God delights us? And what are the desires of my heart? Do they line up with the sacred desires of God's heart for me? Do you notice something? Do you notice that here is an action on our part before the action to fulfill the promise on God's? Trust in God. Do good. Delight yourself in Him. You see, it's about putting first things first. It's about making Jesus really our Lord. There's a story, and I've been pondering over it this week. I've been doing my daily readings in Luke's Gospel. I recommend that you do that. I recommend that you grab one of the Gospels and you're starting to do your devotion on that. Maybe use the soap principle where you look at the, the Scripture and whatever speaks to you out of that Scripture, you make an observation on that. And then how do you apply your observation to your life? What's God saying to you in that? And then bringing it all together in a prayer, the soap principle. You see, putting first things first. And I've been pondering in regards to this whole thing around sharing our faith. If Jesus is really Lord in our life, and the amazing benefits that this brings to us now, including things like our identity, our wholeness, our purpose, our blessings, and so on. How can we think we should or could ever contain the overflow of joy? Well, for me, what contained the overflow of joy of my salvation was that my sacred thing was doing my will. For me, it was about going and playing footy. That was the very thing that separated me from the plans and purposes from God, of God in my life. I dealt with that one thing. I put God first in my life. And within 18 months, I'd lost all desire to play football. Now, I still continued. I still played it. But I'd lost the desire for it. And about five years later, I actually lost the desire to watch it on television. Why? Because my heart yearned for God. He yearned for the things of God in my life. And out of that came this overflow of joy. One way that can stifle this expression of evangelism 
is we can, be quite, we can become quite staunch and religious about certain things. Remember I asked, what is sacred to you? Is it Saturday, uh, Sunday roast lunch? Is that sacred to you? Is it a sport maybe? Is it meeting your mates for that barbecue every weekend? Is it a game of squash that you can't miss? Is it sitting down under the AC with a good book and maybe a sneaky glass of red? What is sacred to you? Is it polishing that car every Saturday morning, making sure that there's every bit of chrome is perfect? What is sacred in your life that you're putting before God? What is so sacred to us that we can never let anything get in the way of it? There's a story found in this gospel. It's actually found in the the other two gospels, excluding John. And it's found in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And today I want to look at Matthew's account of it. So you can turn to Matthew 12. And within this, the reason I chose Matthew 12 is because Jesus makes an interesting quote in there that I want to draw out. Matthew 12, let me read it to you, verse 1. It says, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place, there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means... I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. So we know this passage is actually about declaring that Jesus is Lord, even over the Sabbath. And Sabbath was was one of the most holy and sacred laws of the Jewish people, the Hebrew people. It was held to the highest esteem. And Jesus, we can understand that Jesus is saying here, I am Lord even over the Sabbath. So I'm not going to dig into that very much. But what is he saying by saying I'm Lord even over the Sabbath? The disciples did something that was in our mind quite harmless. The story records that they're walking through the grain fields and some of you have walked through grain fields before. If you've ever done harvest, you find that it's quite itchy to do that. But these guys, they're walking through the grain and they're hungry. What do you do when you're hungry? If it's my house, you walk into the cupboard and you open it up and you look in there and there's nothing in there. So you go to the fridge and you stand there looking at it dazed for five minutes, letting all the cold air out. I'm probably not describing myself, am I? But, you know, like that's what you kind of do. If you're hungry, you look for food. Well, in this case, these guys were walking through the grain fields and they just happened to strip the head of grain. 
it just pulled the top of the grain off and they start to rub it into their hands because you know you don't want to eat the head of grain with all of the shaft and all that sort of stuff around it so they start to rub it into the hand to break all that off so they can get to the good bits that which is going to have the protein in it and going to have all the carbohydrate in it all the good stuff that's going to be in it because it's not processed like ours today and they're going to chew on it because they just want to get some nourishment out of it to us they're not doing anything wrong but see to the average a Pharisee, they've just worked on the Sabbath. You're not allowed to do any work on the Sabbath. And yet they've picked and rubbed grain together so that they can eat and feed their stomach. So they did something in our view which was harmless, but to the people of the day, they did something that was an abomination. They'd worked on the most holy and sacred day. It was a huge breach of their law. And it's interesting, Jesus counters them with a story. If you want to look it up later on, it's 1 Samuel 21. But he counters their, their accusation with a story, which I find is really weird. Has anyone ever asked this question? Jesus, when did two wrongs make a right? Like, think about it. Did you ever read the story of David going into the place that he wasn't supposed to go to and eat the very thing that he wasn't supposed to eat and then give it to the people who weren't supposed to eat it? Jesus, two wrongs don't make a right. But when you're Lord of something, all of a sudden you can make the rules. True? So Jesus makes the rules. He says, just because this is wrong and then this one is wrong... This is actually probably worse than what you're talking about, but this one's wrong, but it doesn't matter because I'm Lord over it all. And you know what? I don't see an issue with it. So that's the whole point of Jesus Lord over the Sabbath sort of thing. But I wanted to give you the impression and the understanding that how much of an abomination this was to them and how different Jesus' thinking is to their thinking. Heart of the matter. This is what Jesus is really saying. Human need takes precedence over the strictest interpretation of law, period. Human need takes precedence over the strictest interpretation of the law, always. It's an extreme example that shows what is important to God. The Pharisee was concerned with keeping every dot and every title of the law. Jesus was concerned with humanity and human, humanity's need. Is this not why he came? See, it is our greatest need as a people. It is our greatest need as humans to be reconciled to our Creator. Is this not why Jesus came? He stepped into the earth to make a way possible to bridge the very gap that we could not bridge by paying the price, the price we could never pay, that we could be redeemed to God reconciled to God made right with God you see this is what Jesus is doing human humanity's need is so much greater than the law that God put down in place and the interpretation of such verse 7 is quite striking of this passage but if you had known what this means I desire mercy and not sacrifice you would not have condemned the guiltless Jesus then goes on to heal on the Sabbath in the next story. You can read that later on. But in their eyes, this is another no-no. 
It's not right for you, Jesus, to heal on the Sabbath. Why would you do such a thing if a person, say my son, happened to fall over over the side of the cliff, roll down the hill, bang his head on a rock, split his arms open and was bleeding everywhere. And I was a religious Pharisee. All I was able to do being the Sabbath would be to stop the bleeding so that he did not perish. That was it. That was all I was allowed to do because it was the Sabbath. That was the only thing that I could do was preserve his life. Couldn't do anything to make it any better because I would then be working as a physician or a nurse or something like that. See how the, the law had been so uh, constricted into the very thing that man wanted it to be. And I wonder what was behind that. Jesus sets the tone. He is Lord of the Sabbath and then goes and proves it. Stretch out your hand that it may be healed. Law kept the religious from doing good. Shall I say that again? The law kept the religious from doing good. What keeps us from doing good? Is it our own desire? Or is it our interpretation of the law? Is it our interpretation of God? Or is it just our interpretation of what we're supposed to do to look good to a world around us? What stops us from doing good? And in this case, I'm using the, the story or the example of doing good in our case is to share the gospel. It is to evangelize. It is to, to go beyond ourselves and to share that which brings us the most greatest joy beyond ourselves to those around us. What stops us from keeping from going outside of ourselves? There's another one. It could be just the fear of the reaction that you'll receive from them. If law kept the religious from doing good, what sacred cow stops us from fulfilling God's purpose in our lives? Mercy is not giving the punishment for, someone, for what someone deserves. Is that right? If mercy is, is to not give the punishment for what they deserve, okay, so court of law, someone's found guilty, but they're not sent to jail because the judge is merciful. Yeah? Or even... Um, Roman times in the sense of going into um, the, what's that called? The Colosseum and warriors would battle and Caesar would either go with the thumbs up or the thumbs down and the, the crowd would either go kill or mercy. Okay, that was a mercy save. They'd save the life of that person by having the thumbs up. Okay, when even though he was defeated, and he probably needed to be put to death because he would die anyway from his wounds. He was given mercy. So if mercy is not giving the punishment or that which is owed to that person, in this case, how do we respond when someone interrupts that which is sacred to us? Do we respond with anger, contempt? Are we, are we dissatisfied that that which is sacred to us, that is keeping our lives fed and well, well um, adjusted, if that's interrupted, how do we respond? Do we respond in judgment 
Or do we respond in mercy? What if you're sitting down and you're reading that good book and you finally got to the best, it's the, the bestseller of the year and it's the greatest story in history maybe to you and you're getting to the best bit in that story and you, you, you're just about to take a glass of that red wine and you're about to have a drink and all of a sudden, ding dong, the bell rings. That which is most sacred to you, you put down the book, not the wine. And you get annoyed because someone's at your front door. Are you now operating in judgment or are you operating in mercy? But if you get up and you put your book down and you think, I'll come back to that later. And you open the door and you say, G'day, how are you? Welcome, come in. You're now offering mercy to that person. But if you've gone to that door and you said, what do you want? Not, not interested, slam the door in their face, go back to your book and now you're all annoyed and you can't get into it anymore and you throw the book down and you're annoyed because that person interrupted that which was most sacred to you. Maybe you'll have to pick your book up later on. That's how simple it is in our lives to not extend mercy to someone. But you see, if mercy is our guide, then an inconvenience becomes an opportunity to live the kingdom now. Let's put this into perspective. Jesus said in this passage, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless if we had operated out of mercy. I desire mercy. Hmm. Perspective right there is that Jesus offers mercy to us. And in that case, we are meant to offer mercy to those who seem to be an inconvenience to our lives. So around evangelism, around this question of sharing our faith, do we do so out of duty, which to me would be a sacrifice? You know, it's all well and good to want to sacrifice for God, but I don't think that's what God's actually wanting in your heart motive. It's all well and good for you to put your, your football aside and your good book aside and even the extra 15 hours a week overtime aside. It's all well and good to, you know, sacrifice that for God and say, look, God, what I sacrifice for you today. But I don't think that's a heart motive that he really wants to reward or even to honor. So do we do things for God out of duty because we have to as a sacrifice unto God? Or do we do it from the motivation of love, which is to offer mercy even when it seems to be against us? I see four things in this passage, and I'm going to wrap them up really quickly. Firstly, I see evangelism in this story because of the great harvest. Luke 10 says, And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus is surrounded by many people who are sacrificing to God. A tenth of everything, even the measurements of spice, a tenth of all of their wealth. 
their firstborn lamb, their firstborn cow. All of these things, they're sacrificing under God. And he's looking around and he said, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, they're few. I'm working with 12 men and a few ladies. And you know, there's a number of multitude are following me, but they're not quite ready to harvest yet. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send harvesters out into the harvest field. He's surrounded by all a nation that is sacrificing for, the, for their God. But he's wanting mercy to come. And it started with 12. And then it went to 72, if you read Luke's gospel. And then it went to the multitude. And then it went to nation after nation after nation. Because they were faithful in praying to the God of harvest. These disciples, they were hungry, so they plucked grain. The plucking of the grain shows that the harvest is ripe and ready. We need to be hungry for the purposes of God. That is putting first things first. If you want to know whether Jesus is really your Lord or not, Put first things first. Do you see a ripe harvest around? Or are you sowing sacrifice day in, day out? Secondly, they picked what was at hand. Are we faithful in showing mercy to those close to us? Do we see the great harvest before our eyes? Or are we more concerned with the football, the book, or the newest movie? Do we see the hurting, the dying, the man like in the story of Lazarus and the rich man? Go to Luke 16 and have a read of that story. There's a chasm in, in, uh, in the grave. And Lazarus being, being, being a poor man. He's in Abraham's bosom because he had copped it so much on the earth. He still didn't lose faith in God and he goes into Abraham's bosom and he's in, in, in death he's found a place of rest, a place of waiting for that day when Jesus reveals himself. But the other man, the rich man who had no mercy, who was, who was begrudged to sacrifice his tithe, that man who could have given so much more and only gave a small amount, he's, he's in a divide of torment where the the thirst can never be quenched and the fire is so hot and he's asking Abraham please get Lazarus to drop some water on my tongue but he said even if I can he can't because of the great gulf the great distance between us but then Abraham just sends someone back so that my brothers and my sisters don't come here but you see that's our purpose so that, so that there is no divide when it comes to that place. So that we all have that place of blessing. But you see, what do we desire? Do we desire sacrifice or do we desire mercy? Do we desire judgment, the wrath of God being poured out upon us? Or do we desire the love of God and the fulfillment of what He's doing? They picked what was at hand. That's putting First things first. You want to make sure Jesus is Lord of your life. Look around you. Your neighbor that doesn't know Jesus. Your brother, your sister, your son, your daughter, your mum, your dad who does not know Jesus. Put first things first. The farmer always acts swiftly when the harvest is ripe. 
because he doesn't want it to spoil. I used to work at Collier and Miller and Jamie would know this. Come harvest time, farmers seem to just lose it. They just got angry and they just got tense and they just got stressed because there was a cloud on the horizon and they needed to get their crop in. And they knew that if they didn't get it in, that harvester was going to be sitting there for a month and their, their grain would be spoiled. And if you delayed them by five minutes, they were angry because they understand what it's like to get that harvest in. Don't delay. We're not called to delay. Thirdly, to the religious, evangelism is inconvenient. The Pharisee used the law to stop them from putting human need first. Even if someone needed healing, they could only do what was necessary to preserve life and no more. Imagine a bus turning over on this roundabout out here right now. Imagine the screeches as cars plow into it and the brakes and a fire starts to erupt. What would happen in this place? Would we continue our sermon going on here because it's holy and it's sacred and we need to do the right thing for God? Or would we down tools and run straight out there as a church and try and help wherever there was a need? See, that's in your face, but that's reality. Because if we're after a nice Sunday morning service, then I'm saying we're going to be titled religious We've got to be prepared for what's going on out there as well. It'll be down tools and off we go, grabbing the first aid kit and grabbing anything we could as we can. I reckon some of you guys would rip your shirts off and you would get them around those arms and you would stop the bleeding and you'd put tourniquets around the leg if there was an artery in damage. Why? Because you desire mercy. But if we sat back here in our Sunday morning routine, what God is set in motion, let God deal with. He can deal with that out there. We'll deal with what we're doing in here. Then all of a sudden, religious spirits having a good old field day in the church. And God says, I desire mercy. That's love. Love in action is doing something about it. If this service would stop for something like that, and let me tell you, Sunday morning services are sacred to me. And you heard Rodney say, even in communion, you heard him say, I just wish every day was Sunday when I first came to the Lord. Because for us, this is, this is like the pinnacle of our week. But mercy is the guide and love is the very thing that motivates. Let me say, 11.30 service would go out the window if someone out there needed it. So if it's like that for me, what is it like if a neighbor knocks on your door asking for something? Or if they're in tears because they just had a fight with someone on the phone? Or their, and their husband had stormed out slamming the door so hard that it nearly fell off the hinges? What would it be like if you were inconvenienced right there and right then? Would you turn them away because you were at the climax of the latest blockbuster movie? Or would you go and open the door to them 
Would you embrace them? And would you share the love of God with them? See, it's not hard. Evangelism is not hard. It's just operating out of a place of mercy. It's operating out of a place of love. That God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. And if God would give, why doesn't His sons and daughters give? See, that's the question. Did not someone tell us the good news? And my last point in concluding. Evangelism doesn't have to be hard. If my first point was, I see evangelism in the story because of the great harvest. My second, they picked what was at hand. Third, to the religious, evangelism is inconvenient. I'll say that again. To the religious, evangelism is inconvenient. Lastly, evangelism does not have to be hard. I was reading a blog during the week. I don't even know who wrote the blog. I get all these emails. I get heaps of them. And Rod probably gets the same. I know Jamie does. All these emails come in. And every now and then I decide to open one up and have a look. And I clicked on my phone and I had a look and I had a bit of a read. And this was the, this shocked me. This was the statistic that came up. I can't verify it. It's a blog, so don't quote me as being 100% accurate. But this shocked me. 82% of people would go to church if they were invited by someone who cares for them. 82% of people would go to church if they were invited by someone who cares for them. The next statistic is even more mind-blowing. Same group of people or the same group of Christians around were asked, only 2% of Christians actually invited someone to church ever. That's a massive, massive problem. Either we're ashamed of our church or our God or we're too embarrassed or we're too stuck in our, what is sacred for us and we're not shaken up and we're not moved with mercy because they need to hear the truth. That is a crazy statistic. Even if it were half true, that would still be too much of a gap. So if you invited someone to church this week, you are amongst an elite group of Christians. Evangelism doesn't have to be hard. If God is working in your life, and He is in all of us, then we have a testimony to share. And each of us have someone we care for, don't we? And if we shared our testimony with one person this week and invited them to church, even if 50% of those people we shared with said yes, what have we got here? 80 people sitting here? Even if 50% of those people said yes, next Sunday there will be 120 people standing here. And more than likely, half of them giving their lives to Jesus because they would hear the gospel. Oh, but pastor, we don't hear the gospel, so we don't invite people. Mm. Interesting. 
I think it comes down to this question. What is sacred to us? Are we willing to be inconvenienced for the life of someone else? And invite the music team back. We're going to finish with a song this morning. But as they're getting organized, I want to say this. Are we putting first things first? Are we putting God first in our life? And if we are, is there an overflow of joy that comes out in the fruit of love offering mercy? And if there is, then good on you. Keep going. Keep serving God with the fullest of your love for Him. But if it's not, if it's one of your desires, then it's time we put desire into action. It's time we did the Peter thing and actually stepped out of the boat. Because we're sitting back and we're saying, I don't even know what God's got for me. I don't even know what God's got for my life. And I'm not going to do anything until God does something in me that shows me what I'm supposed to do. But see, God's waiting for us to step out in faith. That was my story. It was Pastor Rod's story. It was many of your story. Many of us are serving God in the ways that He's called us to. But there's so much more that we can do. Let's take the opportunities that we have to step outside our comfort zone, to offer love instead of judgment, life instead of death, joy into a place that has no joy. Evangelism is our responsibility. It's our ability to respond to God's mercy and grace showed to us. We need to feel like it's our responsibility. God has called us to God has called all of us uniquely and part of our journey is to discover how our uniqueness shines for him. If we get consumed with our own sacredness, we are hiding our light under the bushel or basket that Jesus was talking about. My question for you are you putting first things first? Are you putting Jesus as Lord of your life? And if you are, that would be a mark of mercy on your life. And love would be the fruit that you would emanate. Love would be the very thing that would ooze from your life. You know, I get inconvenienced a lot. It's just part of the role. Sometimes I choose not to be inconvenienced because I don't answer the phone. But you see, the times that I know I need to answer the phone are the times that I have the greatest conversations that I'll ever have. There's times and there's moments where you think you're doing a good work and you're doing it for the Lord and you're doing it great and then an inconvenience comes. But those are the times that I believe God opens up the door for you to go beyond the sacrifice and into the place of offering mercy so that you can be like God in offering mercy to a person who doesn't deserve it. You see, we're like God, we're created in His image that He wants us to be light bearers the same as His Son was. I invite you to stand to your feet. We're going to sing this morning to finish and conclude our service. And I just want you to do some business with God because He's your Lord. He's my Lord. He's also my God and He's my Savior. He's my friend. He's my brother. He's my King. And He deserves so much from me that I feel like I can't offer. But when I feel like that, 
His grace is bestowed upon me. And I go beyond what I think and I step into what He says and it becomes a reality in our life. See, God offers you grace and mercy in a time when maybe in your heart you're feeling conviction. Maybe in your heart you're feeling like it's a little bit heavy because last week you didn't share the gospel with someone or this last month you didn't invite someone to church. But that's all right because today is a new day and today is the day of the Lord. And this week is a new week and each day is a new opportunity to share the love of God. And you see, if you're humble and if you're willing to approach God and say, God, I'm sorry, I have been selfish. I have had things in front of you and I don't want that anymore. I think there are people here that want to do that right now. If you want to do that, just raise your hand and say, God, I'm sorry. I have put things before you and I am sorry. But more than sorry, Lord God, I am repentant. I want to turn away from those things and turn to you, my God. And I want to experience the overpresence of joy over my life right now. Let old things be gone from my life and the new things, Lord God, that you have for me, let them be the guide of my life. Fill me with joy and fill me with your Holy Spirit that reminds me that I am righteous and redeemed and I am new. Today is a new day and today is the day of the Lord and tomorrow I get the opportunity even again to wake up and say, God, I'm yours and I want to live for you. I choose from this moment, Lord God, to walk. And where I fail, Lord God, pick me up by your Holy Spirit. Help me up. Help me to apologize because I allowed judgment into my life and I allowed the inconvenience to come. But Jesus, I pray, let me walk out of forgiveness and let me share the love of Christ to those around me. I pray, Lord God, that I will invite people to church. I pray, Lord God, that I will share my testimony. I pray, Lord God, that I am proud to know you. And I am glad that you call me your son and daughter. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the challenge. We thank you for showing us, Lord God, that living as Christ lived in this world is the most important thing in our lives. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise right now. Amen. Thanks, guys. Psalm 37, 3-4. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourselves in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. My prayer for you this week is that as you go from this place, that you will trust in God, that you will walk in Him, and that He will fulfill the very desires of your heart. May you go in the grace of God and in the power of His Spirit, and may you shine brightly into our community for the cause of Jesus Christ. Be blessed and enjoy your time today in Jesus' name. Bless you all.